Hello everyone and welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host this week, Ryan, and joining me this week as my co-host is Jim. Welcome back, Jim. Hiya, papaya, Ryan. It's good to be back. I understood that reference. Yes. Hopefully people are playing the game we're talking about this week because otherwise that's just going to sound like an extraordinarily weird thing to say to greet somebody. Or the new way to greet people all the time. Uh, I think I, I think I actually, uh, I, I, so obviously, well, not obviously it might not be obvious to, to everyone, but we're talking about fire emblem engage again. Um, you know, last week when Crofton was on, when he broke the internet and questioned the very being of our, of our intro to the gamers in, um, we talked about fire emblem engage from a more like, introductory standpoint i hadn't gotten very far you know we talked a little bit about the story a lot about the gameplay uh in terms of the introduction to the game but um you know what what jim is referring to is a character that shows up and and i think is an early sort of uh indication that i think this is a this is a less serious fire emblem this is a uh more you know what let's just have fun all the characters are wacky. Everyone's got like fun catchphrases. <laughs> so especially, um, I forget her name already. I'm terrible at names. I, I know it starts with a Y. So uh, Yunaka. Yunaka, thank you. Um, Yunaka has this this catchphrase uh, about papayas. So um, and and you know uh, is it is it. Is it, you know the but all the characters grew on me as as I continued to play. Um, we're gonna keep this probably spoiler free for the most part. Although like uh, we both Jim and I have not played past chapter thirteen. I think we're still probably in the first half of the game. Still, it's as for, for I don't know how many chapters there are, but I'm assuming there's at least twenty five plus. That's that's usually standard I think for Fire Emblem. So we're not far. As you can tell, we've met Yunaka. Um, but Jim, uh, people have heard me talk about Fire Emblem a couple times already uh, on a few podcasts. But uh, what what are your thoughts so far on the latest mainline Fire Emblem game, Engage? Okay, well, for reference, this is only the second Fire Emblem I've really played. I did play the, um, the GameCube one with Ike. I think it was Radiant Dawn or Path of Radiance, one mm-hmm. of those two. Um, but I didn't get very far in it. It got, I honestly got bored with it pretty quick and gave up on it. But I did play Fire Emblem Three Houses when it came, the year it came out, and I did really enjoy that one. Though the gameplay was so-so for me. I don't especially like love the style of combat. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit last time I was on when I talked about Other Side, which is another of these grid turn-based combat games where. I loved. I surprisingly loved that game, despite my, you know, previous. Not I wouldn't say dislike of Fire Emblem Combat, but it's just not something I get very enthusiastic about. I get, you know, a little bored with it over time. But that being said, I'm actually really liking this game so far. Not to like you know something like oh my god, it's going to be my game of the year or anything, but um, I mean the story has been it's fine. It's a story. It's a fantasy story. It's got some you know interesting twist so far so it's not like it's you know boring or anything like that but it's certainly not to the depth of something like um three houses was 
but I think it maybe got a little bit of a bad rap in some of the reviews, saying it's just like like bad or or something like that. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just you know a little generic and not like a little, a little shallow too. Yeah, um, it's interesting because uh, I don't I I definitely don't agree with the reviews that that say it's a bad story. I think it's it's as I described it. It's a very, it's a typical Fire Emblem story, uh, as you said, like very close to like what you would expect from a, from a fantasy game and the type of story that they would have. Um, although I think it's critical to say that you and I have made it past, uh, chapter 10 slash 11 and, um, look, like I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, that's when the story gets good, but, uh, or at least gets, you know, to the point of, of three houses. But I think the, there is a point, there, there is a story uh change up at uh chapter 10 which again like i was not expecting the game to go in that direction because for the most part and the reason it feels like a pretty generic fire emblem story is like okay there's a there's a big bad guy you're the you're the good guy you're collecting these emblems like that's the other thing is the emblems are you know um one character from each game uh each previous fire emblem game so you, you there's a lot of nostalgia there there's some callbacks there's you know, I know that guy, Doc Gif type type thing going on. And um, I was expecting like, oh, this is the trend. You know, we go to a new map. We need a new emblem. That emblem's going to be on our team. And eventually we'll have all 12. And I think there's there's this, this moment that happens at chapter 10 where, oh, we're not going down that path. I mean, we might get back down to the point where we are collecting all the emblems and we're going to be super OP. But that's not now. And, um, yeah, it, I thought that point in the game, I kind of turned and I think, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe this isn't as, as, um, I mean, Crofton used the word, you know, uh, dull or, or bland, but like, maybe this isn't just a typical, you know, connect the dots fire moon story. Maybe this is going to be a, a little more, more of a journey than just a straightforward collect them all type thing. You know, because that's really what it was looking like in the first five, six chapters, right? Yeah, I'd say that it you definitely hit like a roadblock in your like sort of expected story progression, which is good. It's even though, yeah, it might not be like the greatest story ever written or anything like that, but they do at least keep you kind of guessing. It's not like on this predictable path or anything like that. So that was kind of what I was worried about, because in the first, I think, two or three chapters, there's a... Well, what was to me a surprising twist, though, reading other people's who the experiences of, you know, people that have played a lot of Fire Emblem, maybe they kind of saw it coming. But so I was like, okay, this is off to a good start, but maybe it'll get bland down the road. But it really hasn't. It's kind of gotten, I guess there's always like just enough happening that's like a little surprising or interesting that, it, you know, it keeps me interested, which is what I was afraid wouldn't happen. But so far, it's really been like doing a good job of giving me a reason to keep going besides just, you know, essentially like trying to get that, you know, accomplishment of just finishing the game or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, like, 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 yeah, this, this story is is um, it, again, it's not going to win any best RPG story awards, but I think uh, it it serves the purpose of like bringing all these characters back while also telling um, a somewhat, somewhat compelling story. I, again, like, I really feel like that chapter 10 slash, and the reason I'm saying chapter 10 slash 11 is there is this, it's like a dual chapter. You go from one battle into the next and there's some forward momentum to the story that, uh, 
that I think puts some more um, uh, danger in the world uh, as opposed to just like, we have all the time in the world to collect as many, you know, powerful weapons as possible to deal with the big bad. And it's like, oh, this this changes things. Although, you know, like shortly after there, it's like it goes back into like rest mode, <laughs> shall we say, in terms of yeah. in terms of the big bad. But um, yeah, it's uh, but but that all being said, like, I think, you know, uh, I like the characters. Uh, I was worried that. You know, um, with the focus of the previous Fire Emblem games and all the characters they're adding there, the emblems, I was a little worried that we wouldn't get that standard, you know, awesome collection of Fire Emblem heroes, uh, you know, original heroes for for this specific game, Engage. And honestly, like, I've I've been really surprised in the roster of, of characters they've introduced and the locales and, and how they interact with each other. So, like... That's been really satisfying. Um, it's very, it's very hard not to compare this to to Three Houses, of course, because Three Houses was like a lot of people's first entry into the franchise because it was a huge hit for the Switch. But I, I think like if you give this one a chance from a story perspective and a character's perspective, yeah, like Fire Emblem has their like Fire Emblem characters, and and you know, there's always they they kind of like revive those character types in each game you know um although i don't think we've come across an edelgard yet i, I don't think so <laughs> um i guess no not quite anyone that awesome <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, edelgard over here yeah yeah no, I, I played the edelgard, edelgard route as well and i i really that was one of my favorite routes too but you know, but, but like I said, I think there's you, there's there's a lot of characters to love, and and of course because there's such a huge roster, and if you don't like a specific Fire Emblem character and engage, you you just don't have to use that character. You know, um, I find that you usually have like ten to twelve, maybe fifteen of your favorites uh, from the roster of of twenty five plus or so, and you're not punished for, you know. Um, not using specific characters and if and if you really don't like that character uh you can just gift them horse manure every time you see them in in the song now um yep yeah, i was kind of surprised at how like how fast you build up a really large roster of characters i thought you were gonna where, say horse manure <laughs> uh, well i've got a lot of that too yeah but yeah it doesn't take that long into the game before you start to have way more than the you know 10 to 12 characters you can have in a typical battle so now I've got like I've even reached the point now where I've got these new characters where it's like, okay, this character seemed interesting or whatever, but will I use them? Do I want to spend the time to experiment with their class or use them enough in battle for them to get leveled up and such? And sometimes the answer is just sort of like, no, because I already have you know eight characters that I use in every battle. So then it's like down to two or three flex spots for maybe like situational stuff, depending on what the enemies are like or something like that. So it's in a way it's almost too many characters, especially because there is like very limited opportunity to actually get to know most of them. Cause you only have a few characters that are actually in the story cutscenes. So for the most part, it's just the support conversations where you actually like get to know some of these side characters and with so many of them, and with support conversations being dependent heavily on, you know, them gaining support in battles from you know, standing next to each other when attacking and stuff like that, you just don't 
have the chance to see a lot of it because because there's just too many characters to manage from that aspect. Yeah, that that's a good point. Um, from the from the story perspective and doing the chapters, uh, like they're they really do focus in on the the royalty uh, of of the of of the continents, I guess, and the regions, and they folk they're they have a strong focus on on those characters during the story and they're interacting and having conversations. But you're right. Um, if you don't bring uh, Vander, uh, one of the first units you get into the game, if you don't bring him along, uh, you know, later on in the game, because he's he's the he's the knight character you get at the beginning, who's a little bit stronger, and it is encouraged to kind of like leave him out of your roster once once you do get a, a full, um, you get more characters than you can than you can bring into battle because he's he's a little OP and and you want to like kind of get your other characters with more experience. But yeah, I haven't had him in battle for a while and sometimes he'll he'll be he'll be just hanging around the Somnial, but this is the difference between I think Three Houses. A lot of people remember playing Three Houses and after every chapter whether you brought that character along or not, you could have a conversation with that character about what was happening. And it was fully voiced and it was related to the story and you could get Bernadetta's take on the battle to come or the battle that just happened. And it was custom dialogue and you had to check that box to make sure like you heard everything if you wanted to hear all the story. This one doesn't have that. It's very limited in in the characters that are going to offer you some very specific feedback as to what's happening. Uh, most of the time, those characters are just, you know, one liners or something and they're not voiced. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's it's... you're right. There's less there's almost less story and you do have to, as always, you do have to kind of unlock those, those support conversations. Um, the game does offer a couple of, uh, like previous games, there's skirmishes and training that pop up on the map. Although I found that they've been oddly over leveled for me lately. Um, I don't know if maybe I'm just doing it wrong, but I don't know if you noticed that. I've noticed that as well. And I saw somebody else in the discord say that they were having issues with, they were trying to level up some of their less used units, but the because the skirmish levels are set so high, it was difficult for them to actually be effective in those. But yeah, it's like I the I was um I was doing one right before we got on this call, and the the recommended base level was level twenty for if you you're, you're still a base class, but I've still got a lot of characters that are in like the mid teens or lower, so it's kind of difficult trying to actually get them. Like my top units are just fine, of course, but trying to actually get them into position to get kills, get those high amounts of experience to level up is actually kind of difficult, especially for any kind of like frontline unit, because if they're several levels behind, then they're just going to get you know shredded by the enemy. Yeah, yeah, I've even found um, bringing a, a couple of lower level characters that have strong advantages over over other characters like uh, archers, you know. Um, bringing them on to to maps and and finding like you know one false move and it's like oh they're done i gotta rewind uh time but um you you can kind of like chip away at the conversation levels uh by going into the i think it's this, the the arena and you can pick a character wh- whichever it ends up being if it's a character like um like a, a character you, you want to unlock more conversations with I find it does pair them with characters that they're going to have support conversations available. And that will sort of build that bond between those characters. But, um, you know, it's not unlocking 
you know, B and A conversations very often, but it is, it is like starting you down that path. And, um, there's a couple other options similar to three houses. Like there's a cooking mechanic and, uh, I think that's, that's all I've gotten so far is there's like a meal prep and then there's the arena that will offer sort of bonuses to, to support. And I, and I remember with three houses, like there was a big component to that monastery section of like multiple areas where you could pair uh characters that you had to build up their their conversation rep with and 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 unlock more story because you're right like there's a there's a good chunk of story at least like between the characters that is happening in the paralogues some of the paralogues are pretty silly uh but some of them are are you know serious and deal a lot with like some more backstory uh, behind those characters and the regions they're from so you know i think for the most part they're they've been really interesting so far for me yeah, I've, I've enjoyed them so far. Um, occasionally, there'll be one that's just kind of like, you know, not very interesting or kind of a miss, but usually they're either interesting or at least amusing. But I'd, I wish I wish they just let you get support experience just from being participating in battle together, period. Like, just being on the same map. Because otherwise, it's like, okay, I want to um, pair up, say, my archer with one of my frontliners for their support conversation, but... When is my archer going to be standing next to my frontliner for a kill? Not very often, usually. So it's really kind of a pain. And then you're, instead of like thinking, what is the best way to do this map? You're thinking, what is the best way to put my characters in very specific positions next to each other to do this map? Which is sort of an annoyance. Not really like how I want to play a game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you're putting your characters in harm's way to try to unlock uh, some additional some additional bond. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it can be tough in that regard. And I think there might be some other options. Like I haven't explored all of the, the Somnial being like sort of the equivalent to the monastery, but it's, it's all optional. Like you don't, you don't have to go into the Somnial. You can just continue going through battles and stuff. Um, and I mean, it kind of reminds me of, uh, the Abbey in midnight suns where like, if you wanted to, you could, you can ignore all that social stuff. You can just move right forward and, and just do the battles. I think you're missing a huge chunk of the game, but it really is like more of an optional thing than than the monastery was in in Three Houses, which was fairly required, you know, to to level up your 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 professions and and your your class training and stuff. But um, I find for me, like I always keep coming back to engage because of the just all the mechanics that they introduce like and continue to introduce like usually in fire emblem you're done after like the first four or five chapters of like okay you've 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 seen all the you've seen a majority of all the mechanics you've seen a majority of all the different character types now explore have fun enjoy the story whereas in engage like we're still in chapter 13 we have yet to meet you know some of the emblems they've they've shown up but we haven't been able to use them in battle ourselves but each time you find one of those emblems it introduces like a new not just one new mechanic but several new mechanics because each emblem has like their you know their engageability um sometimes they have like a couple passives that will will introduce a new strategy and um i think i just I, i got lynn and she has like her engageability as well as an extra ability to call in like mirage copies of herself you know, so it's just continuously introducing all this new strategy. And then on top of that, you can pair those emblems with whatever character you want. 
You know, it's not limited to obviously the game from a story perspective offers you that first pairing of like, oh, you were entrusted to this ring. So like here you can have it. But at the end of the day, you can take that ring and be like, yeah, you had your fun. Now it's going to go over to Chloe over here, you know? Um, So lots of options. Yeah, I'm I still have quibbles, I guess you'd say, with the style of combat, but I am enjoying it more than I expected and significantly more than I did in Three Houses. I do find that, I guess my biggest complaint with Fire Emblem in general, the combat system is that it really depends, a lot of the strategy depends on the AI being dumb, because you basically, you spend a lot of time kind of maneuvering yourself to be in a position where either the AI can't reach you, can't quite reach you that turn, but is going to move into your range, or where they're they're going to hit a unit that they can't really do much to, which is kind of... That's, I guess, what where I get kind of bored with it, where it does feel like you're just sort of not strategizing as much like moves you can do, but just strategizing how to make the computer do, do um, stupid things. So they do have a couple conditions they follow. Like, if they have a unit that can break one of your units, they'll tend to prefer that. And if you have a unit that's vulnerable and that they can potentially kill that turn, then they'll go for that unit. But otherwise, it doesn't really matter, like, whether it's a good idea to attack someone or not, they just do it. They can do zero damage to a unit and get killed by the um, retaliatory attack, and they'll still do it. And that's kind of... Um, it frustrates me a little bit because it does feel like it's not as deep and strategic, where you're not really like thinking about, oh, what is the series of moves that I can do with the abilities that I have? It's more, what, what can I make the computer do to make life easy for me? Though I do find it to be a lot better than Three Houses in that aspect. I do find I have more, a lot more options where that's where I think the engage mechanic comes into play a lot because you can do essentially like super moves, like the, you know, the warp Ragnarok where you teleport somewhere and do a ton of magic damage or um, Roy's thing where he, you know, hits several units in an AoE. Because I guess Fire Emblem probably doesn't really have AoE much at all for the most part. At least from my experience, yeah, it's it's very it's very rare. I, I from from what I remember from an AOE perspective, it, it really like it came down to um, what did they call them? What they weren't arts uh, in Three Houses. It was the battalions. That was like that was where I experienced a lot of like the AOE Fire Emblem. Uh, um, yeah. There's not a there's not a lot outside of that, if I recall. Um, it's usually like hit one character although in in this one there is like the engageability for i think sigurd will do like a straight line which has been very helpful uh uh, in combat yeah he's maybe my favorite emblem as far as like strategic possibilities i mean like warp ragnarok is awesome but it's really just sort of like you know teleport and do damage the things you can do with sigurd because of the extra movement he he gives you where you can just cross a really large portion of the map and where you can do the I think it's called override where he charges through all the enemies in front of him and does damage. That actually gives you a lot of, you know, interesting things to think about. And certainly I really like using him. And also the one that's um oh, what's her name? Micaiah? Yeah. That's the name of someone? Yeah. Her um what is it, great sacrifice ability where it's just, you know, reduce the unit to one HP but instant heal the entire team. I like that because you can really, you know, do it like strategically where you think, okay, I'm going to put my units in 
maybe a bad position here. Really gonna take a lot of damage, but I have this, you know, like you know, team wide complete heal in my pocket. So it's you know, lets you play a little little fast and loose the unit's health, which is something that's nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I think like all of the engage abilities like offer this somewhat OP ability that wouldn't necessarily exist. Like um one we got later on was uh Lynn's ability and she, it allows you to shoot arrows four four arrows or is it is it five times the damage either way it's multiple times the damage and of course if you're fighting you know um any sort of flying enemy you're able to take out any flying unit from afar because you do bonus damage with that bow so like and and you can shoot from afar so you know the normal the typical you know distance of using a bow and fire them would be one or two spaces depending on the weapon but in this i think you can do it up to five or six uh, and, i believe it's actually yeah. 10 is it 10 wow okay yeah, so yeah, it's five shots at 30 percent damage each so not only are you hitting them from really long ways away but you're doing you know 50 extra damage yeah yeah so it's like it it Every ability that you get, and, and there's a, there's a couple abilities like I think Roy's and uh, Ike's have abilities to like take additional damage. I think I think Roy's is you can you can take you can take as much damage as you can, but you'll never you'll never go below one. But it's like a one time use. And then Ike's is like you you take you can take a bunch of damage, and you I think you get a high defense for that for those attacks, and then you basically at the end at the start of your next turn you deal back that damage with uh, with an ether ability. So like there's it, it it adds an extra layer to the strategy that wasn't there in previous games, and I think like that's where Fire Emblem has kind of struggled in the past to kind of like build upon that tried and true you know, strategy RPG uh, uh, Fire Emblem uh, setup. You know, they. I think the before this, like the big addition was sort of the time pulse, like being able to rewind. And we all know like playing racing games, like I think that, that was the thing that racing games added, like, you know, rewind time. Because you missed that one turn, it's like, well, it ruined the, the last 15 minutes of racing I just did. So like you being able to rewind is really nice. It's similar in Fire Emblem. When they added that, like you you couldn't not add it again because like it just it helped so much with the strategy. So like that that had become like a staple of the franchise now and in being able to like rewind time. And um but since then, like they tried other things, like in Three Houses, they had battalions which gave you gave you extra abilities and stuff. Um but I, I really do enjoy the addition of of emblems and how that changes up the strategy and and affects your characters. You know, it affects their stats when you're not engaged, but then when you are engaged, you 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 have extra abilities and you do you have an extra weapon. As another thing, like before, you'd have characters that were limited to very specific weapons for their class, but all of a sudden, you can equip them with any emblem you want. And then, you know, a magic user has access to a bow or a sword user has access to an ax. And that changes up the strategy immensely because now your character all of a sudden isn't, uh, isn't, uh, you know, is able to take on more, more enemy types. So, you know, it, they've done a lot of work there with the gameplay. And I think that's the reason like this one, is being heralded as one of the one of the greatest gameplay loops for Fire Emblem. You know, they they've really refined it and and added to it in a meaningful way that makes it really fun. Um 
I almost wish I wasn't playing on normal because I feel like it's 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 becoming a little bit too easy. And I feel like maybe the strategy of of uh, the difficulty up might have been a little more enticing. But I don't know if I can increase it mid game. I think I can only decrease uh, you it. You cannot, yeah. which is a very annoying feature. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm you know kind of crapping on the game or anything or saying it's you know simple or easy. It's not. I'm I am playing on hard. And if I was playing on normal, I definitely think I'd be less uh, less interested, less engaged, so we say. But playing on hard, I am, despite you know my kind of you know complaints about the combat style and just the way it works, I am thinking a lot. I do have to think out you know, where I'm placing my units, um, what I can do as far as you know you know paying attention to the weapon triangle, not putting you know flyers in range of bows and stuff like that, and considering um you know, just a lot of different like little things including but and that is something where the engaged or the um sorry the emblems help a lot you do have a, it does give you more options more things to think about and i think that's a it's a very good addition to the to the game much better more interesting than battalions ever were yeah yeah i find with battalions i kind of stopped min maxing if that makes sense like at this point in the game in three houses, I kind of just made sure every character had like a battalion that made sense. And then I used them if I needed to, but you know, your characters get strong enough. They, they makes more sense for them to just use their abilities as opposed to this battalion system. But I find it engaged. Like it's just, it's so ingrained with the ability to attack. And then also the engage abilities are so strong that you're like, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be silly not to use them. Um, but yeah, like it's uh, like I, I find, you know, I'm still having fun even though I'm playing on normal uh, and I and I know like I don't have a lot of time to like, you know, bash my head against, you know, uh, a difficult battle um, in hard mode. And, and frankly, chapter 10, 11 did start to really test uh, my abilities again, but I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I, I mean, it's not it shouldn't come as a surprise that I'm enjoying the game. I, I do love the Fire Emblem franchise and I'm always wary going into a new Fire Emblem. Like, ah, oh, is this the one where I just really dislike all the characters? Um, because that that is a ch- there's a chance of that, right? Because like it's a whole new cast of characters. You get so used to the other ones that that are in previous games that and you, you, you fall in love with them all. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, they're all gone now. Now there's a whole new set. Uh, this one obviously has like 12 emblems that have been brought back from previous games, but even then, like they feel like different characters. They don't, you know, they're, you get a sense that they're from another game. And if you played those games, it's like, oh, they're familiar, but really like the, these aren't like fire emblem heroes where they're, you know, plucked from their universe. I think they kind of like, it's almost like they're copies of those characters but they really do just exist in the world of engage. You know, I don't know if you got that sense yeah. as well. Uh, definitely. Cause apparently Marth was just sort of creepily staring at a Lear for a thousand years while she slept. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of characters seem to look at us sleeping, which is um, a thing uh, in this game. But uh, as long as you don't go to sleep, you don't have that problem. So if you don't go into your room to, to go to rest, then no one wakes you up and <laughs> says the darndest things while you're sleeping. So, um, yeah, I've yeah. only, I've only gone to sleep in the room once, but I definitely plan to do it more often just cause I do want to see the different characters <laughs> that'll show up and what they'll say and such. Cause it is, it is usually amusing. It is very amusing. And honestly, I, they play it up like, like other fire emblem games like that. 
I, I, the, the dialogue is, is played up to be, uh, to be, to be amusing in that regard. And, but for the most part, I think like the, the story and the gameplay and the characters, like, I, I think they all really work. I, I, I really enjoy them. Um, again, like I think just based on the trailers and, and the introduction to the heroes and, in Fire Emblem Heroes, I was like, I, I'm still not really sold on it. I'm not too sure. But once you get into the game and you start to experience them, um, they are over the top, much more over the top than I find uh, Three Houses was. And Three Houses has their over top, over the top characters. Don't get me wrong. But I just, for some reason, I feel like Engage is more of like a traditional Fire Emblem game, which like it's, it's, it's all over the top, you know? Um, yeah, which I think they kind of need to be because it is, a game that is fairly lacking in character interactions and character depth. There's just yeah. not the opportunity to provide that like there was in Three Houses. So they have to be, you know, a little weirder, or a little more out there, just so you actually have, you know, a reason to think about them or care about them. Because otherwise, you know, they're just going to show up, you're going to talk to them once, and then be like, okay, this is a generic sword-wielding, you know, courteous knight guy. Goodbye. Never yeah. talking to you again. That's true. They have to make their impression almost right away. Yes. Um, and I think I think Fates was like that. I remember Fates having like a huge cast of characters. And the second you're introduced to a character, like they had to really, you know, come onto the stage in this big bombastic way. And, and I think Three Houses really, um, they overloaded the, the side story and the side content so that all the characters didn't have to come in in this big enthusiastic you know personality way and and yeah, um yeah so yeah because like every every month in three houses you had a specific mission and usually before before the mission and then after the mission at the be or at the beginning of the next month you'd have these big group conversations with everybody in your house and sometimes with other major npcs so you did just have a lot more opportunity within the story where you're talking to all these side characters and hearing what they have to say, learning little bits about them. But since that doesn't happen and engage, you really do have to, you know, make them notable, make you take notice of them right away. So you don't just uh, let them fall by the wayside because they didn't instantly appeal to you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, that, uh, that does make sense. And, you know, here's the thing, folks at home listening. Um, this is not going to turn into the fire emblem podcast. Uh, I do appreciate uh, being able to talk about it two weeks in a row with with Jim and and Crofton, and um, I'll continue to play it. And if you're looking to pick it up, uh, it looks as though Nintendo is going to be bringing back their um, game vouchers, which Fire Emblem will be a part of. Uh, There was a private video that was put up on their channel and then taken down promptly. Uh, So if if you don't recall, the vouchers were like, you you basically can buy two Nintendo Switch games for um, like, 20 bucks off, which is a pretty good deal considering like it's very hard to get Nintendo games on sale day one, let alone six months after they release. So um, that should be probably announced by next week, considering the video is ready to go. Uh, They just posted (laughs) early. Um, But yeah, we will not be talking about Fire Emblem Engage next week. We will have Travis on and we will be talking about uh, other great games that are out right now or that others are playing. so I do appreciate everybody uh, tuning in to the Fire Emblem Engage corner that we've been doing here. <laughs> yeah, and if I can um, give like just sort of one last word on it. Yes. I'll just say that as a person that isn't necessarily a fan of Fire Emblem Combat and that does love 
know, deep stories and detailed character interactions and stuff like that. I still am really enjoying this game and can definitely recommend it to anybody that thinks they would be interested in it. It is actually, you know, quite well done. You know, there's criticisms, obviously, but nothing that's making me like, you know, think, oh, I'd rather play this other thing tonight or I don't feel like going on or anything like that. I am actually really genuinely enjoying my time with it and I'm glad I picked it up when I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my favorite thing has just been like meeting all the new characters every chapter. Like every chapter, there's like one to two to three new characters that are added to your roster and or just introduced in general. Um, And that has not slowed down. And I'm like chapter 13, 14 right now. So it's been uh, it's been really cool. I'm really enjoying it. I always enjoy a new mainline Fire Emblem game. It's it's been it's it's been interesting to see there be one out so soon after Three Houses, let alone Three Hopes, the Warrior spinoff, which was, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a, a new story. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, it's a treat. Fire Emblem fans don't often get multiple games on, you know, Nintendo's main hardware. So uh, got to love the Switch and the unified portable slash uh, TV systems. So. Um, before we move into the news, we have one other game to talk about, which is, and this will be, this will be a quick one because, uh, both Jim and I are playing, uh, Portal 2 for our TGI game club. Uh, we're not quite done with Portal 2, but we also played through Portal, um, Portal 1. Uh, I played through Portal RTX, which was the, the new upgraded version that came out, I think in December, uh, which was basically portal re not remade, but like had like RTX enhancements sort of like, I want to say duct taped on because it really felt like a mod <laughs> both in a good and a bad way. Um, but it's not your typical remaster where it's like, Oh, this is clearly like a brand new experience. Like, no, there's like to the point where the RTX mode had like its own secret settings menu that the, <laughs> That the game is like, please, for the love of God, do not use the in-game settings. Hit Alt-X to use our cool RTX setting screen, um, or else you'll break the game, <laughs> you know? It's really just a essentially an RTX demo. I'm pretty sure it's completely funded by NVIDIA. There's even, like, you know, a, a picture of a 4090 on, like, the end screen or something like that. Yes, there is. So, yeah, but it's, I mean, it looks nice, but... I mean, I'm not like a really like keen observer of graphic graphics and stuff, so I'm not someone's going to notice all the, like little details. But to be honest, playing Portal Two afterwards, I don't see that much of a difference. Even though Portal Two itself is you know pretty old by now, yeah, it's, it really it really was just like you said a, a mod kind of duct tape onto a game. It wasn't any sort of proper remaster or anything like that. They just added you know ray trace lighting effects and little things like that. Not, I don't think anything changes to like textures or character models or anything like that. So it was kind of, I mean, it was free if you own portal. So not like you paid anything for it, but still it was like maybe a little bit of a letdown because it just sounds like something that's going to kind of wow you compared to the original portal. And it really didn't to be honest. Yeah. No, the, like the RTX editions are, as you said, it's, it's a, it's a tech demo applied to a full game. And for the most part, like I feel like the te- tech demos before this were like doom and quake and 
you know, like much older games. Like Portal's a beloved game, which is why I was so excited to revisit both one and two for our game club. Um, to the point where I think Portal, like a lot of people say, like, oh, I play that game every year. Like, I think Portal is one of those games that you could play every year because it is it's it's an experience you can do in like a sitting. Like I it's about an hour and a half to two hours. And I remember starting it and then setting it down being like, oh, man, I got to finish this by Sunday. I better I better get back to it. And then like an after in an afternoon, I thought, oh, there's no way I'll be able to finish it before I, knew it, I was done because um, it is short, you know, and I think if you have an RTX card, uh, you're going to want to like uh, follow their settings guide because um, it 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 uh look you you could run the original portal in 4k high settings no problem on on a lot of cards that have come out in the past few years but if you're going to play the rtx version which has like full rtx capabilities uh you know uh it you're going to want to follow the settings guide to to make sure you know why am i not getting you know 60 frames 1080p like it's it, it's pretty it's pretty beefy in those system requirements uh, for a game that came out over 10 years ago. Um, But it like, I think unlike other remasters, like I don't think it's that similar situation where it's like, I think that I I think it always looked like this, you know, like it looks good, but port, like it's not a remaster. I think like they've, they've upgraded the visuals a little bit, but for the most part, like what they've done is add RTX, which, which does increase like the shininess and the reflectors of, uh, of the uh, of, of the material that is in the game but for the most part like you're not going to be surprised that this looks like looks like portal still because it is very much still portal um but playing through portal 2 or, or what we've played so far that game you know there was a huge improvement over portal 1 like i think not to not to to uh you know, downplay Portal's success and and its and its awesome experience, but Portal Two Two feels like a like a fully fledged real game as opposed to Portal was like we have this cool story, this funny story, we have these puzzles, we have some mechanics. How do we put it into ex- an experience? And it just happened to be a, a short, tight experience of about two hours. Portal Two is like, well, how do we take that, expand upon the story, add a bunch of new puzzles, and still make it funny and entertaining and interesting? over like a 10 hour period. And and they achieved that. I mean, we you go back to the beginning of the show where Portal 2 came out and we talked about the game then. I, like we really enjoyed it and I think it was by all by all, all experiences like it's it's a very rare experience where it's like this is a sequel that surpasses like this beloved game uh without without obviously like without ruining the first experience like the first experience is still something we can go back to which we did and i was happy to play through both of these i i think they make a really good companion to each other and like play this two-hour intro and then you know come back for portal 2 which like i said it feels like a i don't want to say like a real like just like a real game i'm missing the words here but it feels like they they take that experience and like all right let's build something a little more traditional with this that, that people would expect. Cause it is still a puzzle game, but it like, I don't know. It just feels fuller, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, it's a very different feel. The first one you just kind of, it did have like, I mean, honestly the first one barely had any kind of story until the very end. You start to hit it with like, you know, the cake is a lie and stuff like that. But portal two does have, you know, stuff going on from the beginning. You can tell they really wanted to actually, 
you know, make it more than just, you know, here's this sequence of puzzles you have to go through. And it definitely feels a lot, the puzzles feel a lot better too. I kind of try to describe it in the Discord. I'm only, I'm only in the first milestone, the first three chapters. I fell a little behind. But so far, it feels like the puzzles are less obtuse, but I also feel smarter when I solve them. Sometimes in Portal 1, it just kind of feels like you're wandering around a room looking at things until you're like, finally, oh, that's the wall I put this portal in or whatever. It almost feels like accidental that you, that you figure out the puzzle. Well, Portal 2, it feels like I'm actually having to you know, use my brain a bit more, you know, think, look at all the things going on, think of the solution. But I'm not just like banging my head against the wall about like, oh, here's this wall that I missed you know, for the last 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. It feels like just, it's a very big upgrade in overall puzzle design. Yeah, and and story and voice acting. Like I know the first one is well known for for Glados as you know the character in the first one, and Glados gets much more you know time and and uh, and and lines and and, and different uh, takes of dialogue. Like it's a it's an old game, but I still don't want to spoil it because honestly, we're still playing <laughs> through it for our game club. At this point, I've played farther than I ever played it before. I only got to, I think, through Chapter 2 in the past before dropping it for no particular reason. Oh. And, I mean, that's the beauty of Game Club is it brings you back to games that, that you might have dropped. I think uh, that was my experience with um, uh, Pyre. I had played a little bit of it, dropped it, came back to finish it for for Game Club. And, I mean, um, I mean, the other thing that I I absolutely adored about my first time playing through Portal Two, and I'm so happy to be back with is is Stephen Merchant's Wheatley. Like he, I had had not a lot of experience with with him as an actor before this game when I first played it, and I was just like, oh man, this is amazing. He's amazing. He's great. Wheatley is awesome. Stephen Merchant does a great job with with the you know the dialogue that they've written for him, and uh, it is. It is a fantastic. If you've not played Portal Two or even Portal One, I mean the com- the companion pack. I think on Switch, you know, we talked a little bit about that. I know Jocelyn talked about it in that you know it it is Portal, but like the loading times are a bit much. But like if if you don't own this on, I'm pretty sure most folks own it on Steam because like Portal was pretty much given away. I think at one point, and Portal Two, while being a fully fledged game, often goes on sale quite a bit. And they did both receive updates to play on the steam deck. Uh, so they, they do run flawlessly on the steam deck, but, uh, I'm able to play portal two in 4k at a, like high settings, 60 frames per second on my big screen TV and off the PC. And it works, it works really well as expected as, as I said, it's a 10 year old game, but it runs super smooth now. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it actually looks very good for its age. Yes. Like Agreed. when you see, um, when you see Chell like through her portals or whatever, you can tell the character model is kind of old, kind of stiff looking. But just the environments, the textures and stuff, uh, those actually still look very good. It definitely doesn't feel like you're playing a you know ten plus year old game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I I always found like the the portal effect was really good, but it, there was always that awkwardness of like, oh, that's a first person model that they're showing us <laughs> through these portals. <laughs> and I mean, like, I don't even think that's a fault of like, uh, the game, or I think it's more of a fault of how they animate those, um, those character models in a first person game, because it's like, it's always awkward the way they move because it's like 
the way they move is is more styled around um what, what the camera moving essentially as you're moving the camera around but yeah, yeah. It's, it could be a trick of the eye too like i don't know if it's just like you expect the gun to be in a certain position and it just looks awkward when you see it in third person compared to like how it's being held but yeah, it's uh oh man, it's such a great game. I'm so happy to be back with it. I'm surprised it's over so soon. I mean, we we only have like one more milestone to go. Like it's 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 also a short game in comparison to what we're used to playing. Um but yeah. Yeah, this week is the final one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we are heading into our final milestone for Portal 2, uh which will be set for Sunday, February 5th, uh as we wrap up the single player campaign. Um, so again, no harm in catching up as, as Jim said, he's, he's still catching up. Um, uh, but there's only three milestones and our last one's on Sunday. Uh, but don't worry, uh, the, the way the forum channel is set up, you can always jump in easy to find searchable. So even if we are, you know, three or four game clubs from now, you want to go back to portal, you just jump into that conversation. Everyone who has subscribed to that conversation will get a notification. Someone new has joined and has some thoughts to share on the lovely experience of Portal. So, uh, yeah, I got to jump back in. I have not done the new chunk, so it's on the list. I'll try to do it all this week. Uh, I didn't want to spend too much time not playing Engage, so I wanted to get as much done as possible before coming on here to talk about it. But now that I can you know, relax a little bit on that, hopefully I can play <laughs> through everything in time for this weekend. Yeah, you and I can now take a pause on engage and go to our other projects. And, uh, you know, now that we've done our engage corner for two weeks in a row. So, um, but, uh, we do have some news to go over, but again, before we do that, I want to thank our patrons. I want to thank our February patron grant. Thank you so much for supporting the show directly through patreon.com slash the gamers in, a couple updates here before we go to the news. Uh, I already mentioned that our TGI Game Club will be wrapping up Portal 2 this coming Sunday. But also we've set our newest Game Club just heading right into the next thing. So many awesome folks that are like, let's do this game next and I will lead it. And I'm like, perfect. That sounds great. So Travis is going to be leading our next Game Club uh, where we're going to be playing Jedi Fallen Order. Um, and uh, <laughs> I did not update the notes here, but so we're going to be starting, um, our first milestone will be Sunday, February 12th. We were kind of like trying to figure out like, oh, can we finish the game before it comes out and originally scheduled for a March 17th release date, uh, Jedi survivor, but don't worry everybody. Um, EA has decided to delay it out of this fiscal year to April 28th, uh, which is, you know. Somewhat surprising for EA. I wish they had done that for some other games, uh, mainly Bioware games uh, that came out <laughs> that somehow had to release during the fiscal year of uh, basically releasing in March and sent to their death. So it is nice that Jedi Survivor is getting some extra time uh, for extra polish. Uh, it does mean we'll have plenty of time to finish Jedi Fallen Order uh, but we will be starting those conversations Sunday, February 12th. So I think that game's available. Speaking of giving away games, I think it's part of EA Play. So if you're a Game Pass subscriber, you have access to that. Um, it's still available as the PS Plus game, uh, I believe. 
and uh, it's often on sale. I think someone had said they just picked it up on EA Desktop because uh, it is on sale on the EA Play Store. So plenty of options, and um, yeah, you've got a week to sort of set that up. So look forward to that. Uh, and what else? Oh, yeah, I've got one more thing here. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'm not... I'm not trying to delay this, but uh, yes, we have an Extra Life update here. It is not Sonic 2 related, so, you know, sorry about that. We're going to wait for Jocelyn to come back to, to sort of iron out those details of when she'll be watching Sonic 2. But I did promise an Elden Ring stream, which is going to be set for Friday, February 10th, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll be streaming at twitch.tv slash RyanMurphyCA. I'll be joined by Travis, uh, who is going to be our guest next week on The Gamers Inn as well as LC from the Discord. As I enter the world of Elden Ring, I have it installed on my PS5. I am ready to go. I have not. I have only booted it up to make sure that the update worked and everything's ready to hit start. I'll be starting from scratch. I might create my character ahead of time, but uh, d- depending on how how much work that is, I don't want to eat up a bunch of stream time as I figure out what... Um, size of eyebrows I want to have. So I'm not sure if I'm going to roll a Eugene Levy or not. I haven't decided. (laughs) Definitely go with the biggest eyebrows you can possibly make. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm writing that down. Biggest eyebrows I can possibly make. Okay. Uh, So, and you know what? It might be fun to create the character on stream and and take requests from from chat. That might be a good idea. Uh, Before we get to the first story, I do want to mention one thing that at least as of tonight, Tuesday, you can still get Jedi Fallen Order for four seventy nine on um, EA app or Origin, whatever they call it these days. Sweet, that's so a good it's deal. Still at the moment on sale. Okay, there you go. So yeah, if you want to get it on sale, it's it's still on sale there. And as I said, you'll uh, I I think like you know as much as we you know don't like the EA apps and stuff, but um, this new one seems to be better than the others. So. <laughs> It's got that going for it. It's got that going for it. That just means it hasn't hurt you yet. It it has not. And I mean, I've, I've, it's probably because I've just stayed away from it. <laughs> so it hasn't hurt me yet. But um, I know I know Jocelyn had a rough go with it. So, um, But yeah, it, it, it is available there. If you want to you know, give EA money directly, you can do so at EA Play. Uh, well, here's the thing. It's almost April. Uh and I say that because the new Mario movie will be coming out in April and we got another clip. Now, this is an extended clip of what we've already seen with uh, the Mario versus Donkey Kong sort of arena battle. Um, and it's an extended clip where we see Cat Mario and the debut of Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. And honestly, Jim, it's pretty much what we should have expected. It's just Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like a guy with you know a fairly deep voice saying stuff and which is just fine for donkey kong yeah because not like donkey kong has a real voice anyway no i mean there is a i don't know if you watched it but there is like a cartoon like early animation style i think it was canadian to be honest i feel like or teletoon like early teletoon stuff you know i don't know if that's ringing any bells but oh definitely not (laughs) yeah there's a donkey kong cartoon it is not great but i know someone some someone listening to this will will 
immediately think of it as I, as I say it aloud. But um, yeah, it's Seth Rogen voicing Donkey Kong, and I think it fits perfectly. I mean, honestly, like when I think of Seth Rogen's laugh and then thinking of it coming out of Donkey Kong's mouth, it's like, yeah, yep, that checks out. I think that works, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I did not expect uh, Donkey Kong to say, now prepare to die, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, you know, so I, I and I showed the I showed the clip to my to my my kids and I'm like it's like I I didn't I didn't really think it through it's it's kind of weird you know like yeah you know, watching your having your seven five year old and and two year old watch uh, Donkey Kong you know say I'm gonna kill you Mario it's like yeah it's a bit much but um, yeah he chose violence he did, he very much did I did not I did not expect that but uh, it it's a fun clip you know they play up the I, I mean. Honestly, like uh, you get more Chris Pratt, him saying meow because he gets the cat suit in a in a very fun way, and and basically Donkey Kong's like, oh my god, he got the cat button or he hit he hit the cat box or something, and I thought that was pretty pretty hilarious. So although I do like the cat power uh, power up in in the Mario games, it works quite well, but it does feature Mario meowing, so there's that. Um, yeah, the the humor is on point. And, yeah. and also, I'm—I mean, I'm someone that's not bothered in the least by the Mario voice in this movie. I think it's—it's it's just fine. Um, people say they, oh, maybe they're going to have him kind of like minimized. Mario's not going to say all that much in the movie, which to me sounds exactly what it should be. Because I mean, really, if you think about Mario games, you know what the least interesting character in a Mario game is? Mario. Mario himself is boring. It's yeah. everything else around him that's actually interesting and fun. People just love Mario because they love the game. So I don't think there should be high expectations for Mario in a Mario movie because Mario isn't really the point. Agreed. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think Mario is going to be uh, like he he's obviously going to be a part of this film and, and a pretty big part. But I think it's going to be it's going to be a shared cast. You know, like I think we're going to be seeing a lot of. Luigi, we've already seen like Luigi possibly having like a lot of side story as he's, uh, you know, interacting with with the bad guys more, you know, possibly being captured by Bowser. Um, Peach taking a, a center role as well. Toad, you know, it, it's it's not very often you would say these character names and, and expect them to be front and center a, a ahead of Mario. But it really feels like they are positioning these other characters alongside Mario in a, in a meaningful way. So, you know, I think the trailers kind of show that this may be the Mario movie, but there's so many characters in the mushroom kingdom that can be focused on. And, and, uh, in this clip alone, like, honestly, if they do a, a Donkey Kong spinoff, I, I think it would work. You know, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. I can't wait to hear, um, the, there's a, the actor that plays cranky Kong, uh, it's it's the SNL it's an SNL performer and um it's like the Portland guy uh what what is his name I should have uh I'm trying I'm trying to search Cranky Kong and I'm like Cranky Kong uh age wiki no I want to know voice actor who played who I'm gonna Fred Armisen there it is oh okay that guy yeah that I I we again we haven't heard all these these voices like and it's like a stellar cast um I don't think we've really heard Fred Armisen yet. So there's like a lot of, a lot of different voice actors we haven't heard yet. So, but here's Donkey Kong and I think it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm really looking forward to that movie. Yes, me too. I am 
I am definitely planning to bring the two oldest to go see it. And uh, I will be bringing plenty of snacks so I don't have to leave leave the seat because that's that's how we see films uh evidently the kids just need constant snacks so big bucket of popcorn i'll be figuring out a time like super early in the morning on a weekend or something where i can go where there's not gonna be a lot of kids yeah that's uh yeah it's probably a good idea <laughs> yeah but i feel like it's a it's it's gonna appeal to to all ages so maybe maybe it won't be just uh but you're right. Like early, early morning would probably be good. Probably. Yeah. I think yeah, my good. schedule doesn't work so well for like midnight showing. So that's not really a very good option, but usually if you go, if there's like, you know, an eight 30 or 9 AM showing, most people don't have the kids up and going that early. So it might not be too bad if I go on like the second or third weekend. Well, I can tell you, I certainly don't want to wrangle my kids to go to a 9 AM showing. So, uh, yeah. you should be good there. Should be good there. <laughs> Uh, well, fans of, uh, speaking of, uh, adaptations, fans of the last of us on HBO, which is getting stellar reviews and viewerships as they just premiered their third episode, um, has been renewed for a season two. And, um, if you are wondering, like, I thought that was always the plan. Uh, you're, you're not alone. Uh, I think they always, you know, came about the project of like, if we're going to do this, we need the. We need to uh, we need to at least acknowledge the opportunity to do part one and part two, and I think that was always uh, the idea from the get go. But as is you know tradition in television, you got to be a success before you get a second season. Uh, Netflix. Do you know if they're doing the entire story of the first game in the first season? I believe so. I believe that's the idea. Um, they have confirmed that part two will be the focus of season two. So I. I uh, okay. I think the way so there's nine episodes for for season one and the pace at which they're moving and and how they're proving to adapt uh, the storyline is they're moving quite quick, you know, Um, but there's still there's still a good chunk to go. So it'll be really interesting to see how they approach uh, the rest of part one in terms of how they adapt, because so far they seem to be doing like an episode per sort of. Uh, interactive beat of the story. So whenever they come across like, like a new set of characters or a new set of um, troubles to, to overcome. So yeah, I, um, they are doing the, the, the first part for season one. I think if you try to stretch it further than that, it, it could get, it could get long of the tooth, but yeah. yeah, That makes sense. Cause it's only what, like a 12 to 15 hour game. I think it's yeah. About that. And I mean, like when you, like when you so this recent episode, episode three, which focused on the story of Bill and Frank, which was a phenomenal episode. If you look at the game, that section is primarily gameplay focused. Um, and, you know, when you look at that, like, how do you adapt that story? Like it could have been like if they if they kept it close to the games, it could have been just 15 minutes of the episode. But I think the approach they took where they really focused in on, you know, the relationship of, of Bill and Frank and then told that story focused around you know, Joel and Ellie trying to, trying to, you know, basically get a vehicle. Like it's, it's a much, it's a story you couldn't tell in a video game. It wouldn't work, but because this is the medium of television, they can kind of, you know, take parts of the game like, okay, let's focus in on this idea and, and produce a really awesome episode of television that just happens to be adapted from, from a video game. So if they take that approach with other storylines and stuff, like obviously we're going to, they're going to get back to like, you know, the action and suspense and, and, um, and all that of, of the gameplay and, and whatnot. But, uh, 
Yeah, they seem to be moving at a pretty steady pace, and I think we will get some episodes where they do, you know, focus in on um, on specific parts of the game and then skim over other parts of the game that are more gameplay focused, right? So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It does seem like a very. I haven't played the game myself, but it does seem like uh, the type of game that would be able to fit an adaptation of you know a fairly direct adaptation of the story into a TV show. Yes. A yeah. lot of things, like I watched the um, part of the animation, the anime version of Persona Five, and one of the reasons I fell off it is just that you know an RPG like that just does not translate directly into like a movie or a TV show because so much of it is just gameplay. You know, like doing tons of fights in a dungeon, and then you know in Persona you got all the different like social stuff, and that's you know you can have like some conversations with people obviously in a TV show, but you can't have, you know, essentially a hundred hours of gameplay, like where you're just, well, not a hundred hours of gameplay, but probably about 60 to 70 hours of that game would be gameplay. And you just can't like ignore all of that and jump from plot point to plot point in a TV show because it just feels so rushed compared to actually, you know, the, the pace that the game was written to be. Mm-hmm. But something like the last of us where it is, you know, you have a lot of gameplay going on, but it is just, you know, sort of a, you know, going through an environment, you know, survival, that kind of stuff. I think it works a lot better than like the RBG thing of like, you know, every time we walk down this road from, from town to town, there's monsters all over the place we have to fight, which doesn't really make sense on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? I would say like a good adaptation is one that doesn't like ruin the original experience if you wanted to go back. Like if you watch the movie and like, oh, I'm going to go read the book. And you and you enjoy both because they're they're a different medium. And I think like The Last of Us on HBO, having played the games and adored the games, uh, uh, like you could watch the show with no intention of playing the game or haven't played it before, and then be like, you know what, I will check out the game and have like a similar yet different experience. Like the story beats are the same, but like they really they really take the story and be like, okay, how, how can we make this work for TV? Uh, how do we adapt this in a way that doesn't ruin the game? Um, and we'll ruin the games. That's, that's obviously heading in directly in a strong <laughs> direction, but you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily like, you know, take the game and, and toss away, you know, some of those ideas. Like it, it really hits those beats uh, from the game but uh, like it removes the like, well, they clearly did this for for gameplay, right? Um, and they can adapt the story in a way that that just makes it more interesting for television. They've done a great job, honestly. So um, can't wait to watch more of that. And I'm sure once it wraps up, we'll have more thoughts here on the Gamers Inn. Uh, now we head into the rumor mill section of the news. We have three stories here, kind of quick ones. They're all rumor based, but um, some probably more uh you know situated in reality than others but uh ign has a report that xbox nintendo and sony won't be a part of e3 2023 uh jim this isn't too surprising like they say it's an exclusive report and really like at the end of the day uh xbox and sony haven't been a part of e3 proper for for a while even pre uh, pre COVID nineteen, uh, when when E three was shut down, they did not have booth space in E three proper. Yeah, um, I believe 
I think Microsoft may have until 2018. Yeah. I think 2019, they definitely didn't. And Sony, of course, completely abandoned the E3, not even like doing their own press conference. Because like Microsoft does, you know, it's not at E3, but it's in LA at the same time as E3. They do the press conference. But Sony, of course, completely abandoned even that and did their own thing. But yeah, really the only actual news here is that Nintendo isn't, might not be doing their traditional uh, E3 floor space. Yeah, and they would normally do a huge booth. Yeah, it's a little surprising, but also, you know, they've been doing the Nintendo Directs for a long time now, and then with the pandemic and just not having in-person shows for a couple of years, they've certainly been able to get data on how that goes with, like, only um, sharing news through the Nintendo Directs and maybe, like, some, you know, online um, media testing and stuff like that. And obviously it's working fine because it doesn't, matter when these big shows or these big companies uh, release their news. Somebody that people are always going to cover it, people are going to watch it, no matter what time of day it is, uh, when during the year it is, how often they do it, people always watch Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft presentations. So why spend tons and tons of money at a booth for essentially little more coverage than you'd already get? Yeah. And those booths are expensive. Uh, you know, and, and Nintendo's usually always had like this big presence with, you know, a lot of like custom work done into their booth. And, and I mean, always looked super expensive, but I think like the writing was on the wall the second they adapted, you know, adopted this like digital format of the Nintendo direct and everyone laughed at them, you know, like, oh man, Nintendo, what are you doing? And now it's the industry norm, uh, for, for everyone from, you know, Microsoft to Apple to Google, like everyone does it, you know, there's still like the, you know, live presentations and stuff, but like it's, it's changed. And obviously, you know, Xbox, Sony, maybe Sony less so, but Xbox and Nintendo have, they, they are a big supporter of the ESA, which is the organization that puts on E3. So there is this very important note that like Xbox, Nintendo, they support the ESA, but there's only so much you can do to, to say like, okay, is it, you know, is this money we're putting into a booth? Is it worth it? What if we just like supported the ESA directly or did stuff that supported the ESA in a way that didn't have us spending millions of dollars on a, on a, on a booth with a life-size, you know, link or something. So yeah. yeah. And Microsoft is, more or less said that they're going to be still doing a big LA presentation like normal. It's going to be around E3. So they'll still be drawing attention to E3. And I bet Nintendo's going to have a direct at like basically the same time they normally do during E3 week. So they're still bringing attention to it being this, you know, this week of the big presentations and stuff. They're not just completely abandoning the E3 concept entirely like Sony did. So yeah. they are still, yeah, they're kind of supporting it, but in, a way that makes more sense and is a lot less wasteful for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you know, our next story here, this one is uh, very much like a report from a report, but according to a uh, Lord of the Rings <laughs> fan page, which I guess has had some, you know, good track record in the reporting of, of Amazon news, but essentially they're reporting that Amazon has bought the rights to the Tomb Raider franchise for 
and this is the, the the silliest part to me, for the sum of six hundred million, I'm not saying that Tomb Raider isn't worth, you know, the whole franchise isn't worth six hundred million, but keep in mind that Square Enix just sold the franchise and the developers behind it, uh, Crystal Dynamics, uh, as part of a package deal um, for three hundred million. So, I mean, like Embracer Group is just like <laughs> turning around and 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 doubling the money, getting it back, you know, right away. But um, if that proves to be true, and parts of this story could prove to be true, because you know Amazon is working with Crystal Dynamics to publish the next Tomb Raider game. They are working on a video series uh, for Tomb Raider, which is being written by uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So obviously they're very much working on Tomb Raider already. It just seems like this specific deal they're talking about is a, is a way for them to be like, let's just get all the money for this. Let's just own it so that we don't have to license it. Um, and Jim, you had some thoughts in Discord when this when the story got posted. So like, what are you what are your thoughts on on this? And I mean, it all seems to be pretty much true except for the six hundred million. Like that seems to be the most far fetched for me. Yeah, the price tag is very sketchy but my 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 thoughts are really what you basically just said there which is that it makes sense i mean amazon because they're already publishing a game and they've obviously had a lot more success as a games publisher so far than they have as a games developer they're raking in tons of money with lost ark and while new world kind of sputters along i guess and everything else they've ever done has gotten canceled but also with the tv series that you know and they could do future series and future movies, maybe based in that universe. It does make a whole lot of sense for them to just pick up, you know, like let's just buy this IP. You don't have to pay licensing fees. You don't have to split game revenue with another company. Let's just own it. It's a long-running IP since like '96 or '97, I think was the first game. It's obviously very iconic. Tons of people know about it. It's you know potentially worth lots of money down the road if done right. So it's. Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense for them to do it, but paying twice what it costs for Embracer to buy all of the studios and IPs, including Tomb Raider, that's extremely weird. Um, It would make you very, very much question what Square Enix was doing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't (laughs) know. The number makes Square Enix seem very foolish in their 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 selling off of the, of the franchise let alone the developers so it's tough like but then again like 300 million for what they sold like there was a lot a uh, part of that package that was like again it, i questioned the number to begin with because it's like you have a lot of long-standing franchises that are very that maybe were more popular back in the day but are still quite popular you know deus ex and um as you said tomb raider and and there's, there's other ones in there too, but you know, those are the two big ones that come to mind. A thief is another one. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, but it, on paper, it makes sense. I mean, Amazon has the money, you know, they're already working with the developers. I think this story would be even worse if it was like, you know, crystal dynamics is no longer working on it because like Amazon doesn't have this great track record for building games, but they have the money and the supportive executive roles of like adapting stuff. You know, like I, from what I understand, that Lord of the Rings series was well received. Wheel of Time was well received. So, like, maybe them being the stewards of the Tomb Raider franchise is not a is not a bad thing. Because honestly, like, outside of the the recent game series being really good, 
like I, I don't know if the new movie lit the world on fire. I hadn't seen it, so I can't really comment myself. Uh, it reviewed very poorly. Oh, did it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like I like the I like the actress. You know, she was um she was just uh I think like her movie previous to that was the robot film with the Star Wars guys, which I know I'm not helping yeah. anybody with. The, uh, <laughs> ex Machina. Yeah, thank you, Ex Machina. So you know, uh, so memorable that I couldn't remember the name of. The, but that's me. That's not them. That's me. So I mean, we'll see where this story leads. It's again. It. I would even say I not even. I hesitate to say it's developing, but it's just so much of it makes sense outside of that number. So like, I mean, stay tuned. Maybe next week we'll have a a confirmation. But uh, our final story here is a follow-up from last week, which relates to Microsoft and uh, 343 Studios. And I think from what I've heard, this is a sort of a confirmation or an additional report based on some rumors that were coming months ago that um, Halo will be switching to Unreal Engine. Um, This seems to be... uh, sort of a trend as you see with developers that are struggling with their in-game or their in-house engines and deciding just like, you know what, we know how to build a great game. Let's just do it on an engine that, that works. And unreal engine is, is one that is is highly, highly used across the industry. Well-supported runs on anything. So um, this just makes sense. So it looks like the future of halo will be on unreal. Um, Their new game that's codename. Tatanka will be uh, sort of will use the Unreal Engine and it's reported to be their Battle Royale sort of take on Halo. Um, And they will be moving away from the proprietary Slipspace engine, which they've used for previous 343. Maybe they just use that for Halo Infinite. I'm not I'm not a I'm not an expert when it comes to the Halo engines. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a further story is to like microsoft saying no halo's here to stay which honestly like no one thought halo was going away like xbox wouldn't exist without halo so of course it's going to continue but um i think like the cd project red stories like this this inspires confidence in that like okay halo will continue to be around and it won't be hampered by you know these these engines that are they're clearly not um working for the developers right like uh, yeah. yeah, unless the engine, your custom in-house engine, really lets you do some really special stuff, then it's probably not really worth doing so. Instead of just you know like going with Unreal Engine, it's just you know every lots of people use it. It's got all the stuff you need, all the support you need. It's just easier. You know, it costs you some more money in the long run, but if you might even save that money in development time. So I think the real major thing from that article is that apparently, and of course this is all you know, not confirmed or anything, but 343 is not working on any kind of new uh, single-player content for Halo Infinite. Mm. And they're just going to be focusing on multiplayer for right now. I will yeah. say this was kind of interesting, though, is that while they've kind of denied the initial rumors, which was that 343 wasn't going to be developing Halo themselves anymore, they haven't ever come out and actually said no, we won't have other studios doing Halo. So I, th- I certainly think there could still be the possibility that 343 just does multiplayer going forward and then follow, um, has made more of like an oversight and helper role to some other studio doing single player, potentially. Because mm-hmm. as far as I know, people are still 
you know, think Halo multiplayer is really good and such in all of these games. You know, there's probably, you know, some versions are like more than others, but certainly the stories I know from like Halo 4 on have not been all that well received. So it might make a lot of sense to let 343 do the thing they're doing well with, which is the multiplayer, and then have, you know, a fresh set of eyes come in on the single player and let them take kind of a backseat role to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny you mentioned that, like the, uh, the the battle royale game that's that's rumored to be coming that is project uh, Tatanka is is actually being developed by Certain Affinity which is which is a studio that's worked really closely with 343 on a lot of multiplayer stuff and and a lot of those multiplayer maps are built out of house uh, a lot of the multiplayer packs that came out previous to Infinite were were done by Certain Affinity so you know a support studio that is going to be getting a chance at, at building their own multiplayer take on battle royale for uh for halo so like it's it's one of those things where you know obviously like uh the layoffs are just like are terrible the stories coming out of 343 about the layoffs and and how they've been handled and how strictly just development of infinite was handled did not seem great you know and um hopefully you know going forward hopefully they can find a way to because again like You'd think of all of all the products that Xbox puts out, Halo would be the one that would be like it would it would be it'd be the one you'd want to work for. It'd be the one you want to work on. You know, it'd be the best supported. It'd be the the best managed, the best received. You know, obviously, like we don't live in a in a world where you know everything goes right all the time. But again, like you'd think Microsoft plus Xbox plus Halo, you'd think like oh well, that's a surefire thing. But uh, unfortunately, that is not the case. But, you know, maybe going with Unreal and, and focusing on an engine that is, as you said, like there should be no surprises when trying to build a first person shooter slash action game with Unreal Engine like that. Yeah, that'll work. You would think so. It is the Unreal Engine after all. <laughs> exactly. In the first place for a first person shooter. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be well supported. So um, hopefully, three four three and Halo can return. I'm a little bummed that they're not going to be doing any more Halo Infinite story because that game did end on a cliffhanger or like a hey, there's more coming type thing. And I find all the Halo games kind of do that in a way that's like we might drop in some DLC, we might you know turn the rest of the story into a web comic. We haven't really decided yet, but. Um, every halo game that 343 has worked on has had that sort of feeling of like disjointed start disjointed end maybe we'll maybe we'll add more here you know in dlc or a tv show or whatever but it it never quite pans out so um halo infinite continues that trend hopefully the next product will be a little bit better yeah, I think it's pretty clear that in, unless these rumors, which are, are all totally false, which seems very unlikely, it is pretty clear that Halo Infinite did not land as well as they wanted it to, and they don't have confidence in it, you know, the original plan for it, and that things are definitely, one way or another, there's going to be some kind of huge change going forward with how Microsoft develops Halo. You don't just lay off, you know, 95 people from the studio making the game you know, and kind of, you know, continue on. Oh, nope. Business as usual. Yeah. Well, you just hope that it goes in a way, in a direction that is, that is better for, for the future of, of not only the franchise, but the people that are working there. I much prefer the approach that you see from, from companies like Nintendo 
or uh, even Ubisoft that say like, look, we are canceling these projects. We are shutting down these studios, but we are working with the teams to find, you know, employment within, you don't even hear it from Nintendo. You don't hear about layoffs from Nintendo because like they don't do it. They just, they find a way to make it work. They move people to different projects. They keep them employed. And um, sometimes they take, you know, you know, executives take pay cuts and, and, do it that way you know i think that should be the way it should be done honestly like i think uh you have you have executives making millions of dollars and that just does not compute for me it does not make a lick of sense but uh yeah in this case we have a studio whose game clearly did not meet expectations had a lot of issues in development and a lot of delays in both the initial release and in um expected features like the forge and campaign co-op and yet they're laying off what's probably just a whole lot of, you know, regular developers, engineers, that kind of stuff, writers, while the people who are supposed to be overseeing this project, who are actually responsible for everything that happened, they're apparently still keeping their jobs and making lots of money to not do that well, apparently. Yeah. Which is what often happens. It's, it's, I don't get it. It's bananas. Um, Again, like when you have these mass layoffs, it is all, it, it is usually the case, like especially with a company, it always comes down to profit too. Like I think, you know, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, um, you know, Twitter is a completely different story for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, those original, you know, examples of Microsoft, you know, Google and, and, and Facebook, those are companies that, that make billions in profit. Yet they they lay off, you know, they do these mass layoffs. It doesn't even make sense. Does not make it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, maybe it makes sense to to shareholders, but um yeah, I mean like it doesn't make sense to me, but uh it is the it is what continues to happen. So hopefully Microsoft can figure out how to make Halo work again uh on the Unreal Engine. But um yeah. So hopefully things get better there. And we continue to see some cool stuff from 343. But uh, that is going to do it for our show tonight. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining me on the Gamers Inn. Uh, Jim, where can folks find you on the internet? Oh, thank you very much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure and great talking to you. You can find me on Twitter at Jimmy the Shovel or in the TGI Discord, where you should definitely be. Exactly. 100% agree. Speaking of the Discord... You can go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord, join the conversation there, uh, visit our game club channels, prepare for a Jedi Survivor with our Jedi Fallen Order game club that's going to be starting up soon. Boot up Portal and Portal 2, never too late to jump into those chats as well. And uh, if you want to find previous episodes of the Gamers Inn, go to gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, me at our Murphy, Jim at Jimmy the Shovel, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.